0: Don't we just have the best worship team? And would you thank our technical team, Nathaniel and Chris. Thank you guys for keeping us running during this whole seven months. Boy, it is a joy to watch the gift of the church, to give glory to God in all that we do. And uh, as a church family, my name is Nate. If I've never had a chance to meet you, I want to welcome you. And uh, we just want to celebrate in this moment. We know this has been a hard seven months uh, for a lot of us. And we just want to take a moment right now as a church family. If you're in law enforcement, if you're a firefighter, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you didn't have the option of staying home and working from home, would you just stand right now? Even if you were a cook at Cheddar, right? Would we just thank them and thank you guys. Thank you for your tireless work ethic. We really are grateful for you. You guys gonna have a seat. We just as a church family want to say thank you because nobody knows all the hours and the hard work and the things that you put your life at risk. And uh, we know this has been a dangerous time. As a matter of fact, I got a text message last night, one of our church members, and he said, uh, would you be praying uh, for my dad and my mom. And I said, absolutely, Greg, I'll be praying for you. And he said, uh, both of them have COVID-19 now. My dad's being moved into ICU. And uh, there's just heavy hearts right now. We've lost some of our family members to COVID during this time. There's been a deep uh, impact through all of this. Uh, there's been a lot of us that we've done funerals over the last seven months and the families couldn't even gather in the nursing homes. This has just been a hard time. Uh, and this is what I wanna do real quick before we just kind of begin today. Uh, the Bible says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we rejoice that, man, Jesus is our survival and we are grateful to be together. But as a church family, we need to make sure we're quick to mourn with those who are mourning right now and going through a difficult time. And so would you guys just pray, for me, pray with me right now? Pray for me too, if you wouldn't mind, all right? But let's just pray together as a church family as we join. Father, we thank you for this day. Even for the rain, we thank you. And God, we really do mean it, that we need you for our survival. Father, we need you for our peace. We need your love. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And Father, we need your comfort. Father, for those who are hurting in our church family and in this world, God, would you comfort them today? God, would you put people on our hearts and our minds, and would we be quick to text? Would we be quick to reach out? Would we be quick to be the church, to bring comfort, to bring your joy, to bring your peace to people today? Lord, I'm mindful of your word in Psalm 34:18, that it says, you are near to the brokenhearted, and you save those who are crushed in spirit. And so, God, we just say thank you today for being a God who is near and who saves us when we're crushed. And Father, may we be your people today. Would we be near And when we speak of you today? Father, we love you. God, what an honor it is to get together again as your people in your place for your name. God, would you refresh our hearts through your word today? And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody says together, amen. Well, it is good to be with you and online, good to have you tuning in, and uh, I just want to celebrate a few things. Last week, we talked about uh, Jesus being the greatest comfort of all time, and uh, I love this phrase in Hebrews chapter 3 where it says that God is the builder of everything, and not only is he the builder of everything, that Jesus is over his house, and we are his house Which means this, in every moment, God is doing something incredible. His spirit is at work in our lives. And I just wanna celebrate a few things with you, Northside family, This is just some neat things we need to take time to celebrate. Uh, As you saw a baptism today, we celebrate over the last seven months that 246 people texted in to talk about receiving Christ. And we celebrated 100 baptisms over the last seven months. That even when we couldn't gather in here, God is saving people. Uh, I'm a little bit biased, one of my favorite baptisms was my daughter Lily that we got to do on August 29th, and I got a little picture here, it's just such a special moment uh, that we had our family together and just to go, wow, God, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of everything, you are still saving people, you are bringing people back to yourself, and we are so thrilled with what he's doing. Uh, If you haven't seen some of the renovations that are going on in our campus to make more room for our student ministry and all sorts of ministries here, the foundry out back, uh, uh, we've been hard at work making more. Space beginning to you know expand our campus, make more room as we set the table for others. And uh, something that happened just a few weeks ago, we want to celebrate. Is this uh, you know over four years ago we decided it was after praying, leadership thinking about this. We're going, hey, we own the land over here between us and the Church of Christ in front of the Little League. We also own land over here, and we said, God, are you calling us to build on that? What do you want us to do with that? And something that the Lord made very clear to us is going, hey, you know what? We want to sell that land. So we we can use those resources to expand ministry do more ministry around the world and uh, after four years we want to update this that we signed a contract with a developer on the land and uh, and I got the pictures here so you can kind of know what I'm talking about of the land you can see number one it's this plot out front uh, where we're selling the front couple acres uh, to be developed and then over here on this side is the second spot the grassy area up there to be developed and uh, again We're only under contract, which means, you know, somebody could put a contract on your house doesn't mean they're actually going to follow through, right? Uh, But we feel great about who we're partnering with on this contract. And what we're saying is this, God, we're stepping into what you have, and we're going to follow the rest that you have for us. And that's what we're talking about today. Because what happens when we follow Jesus is this, we are always letting him lead us into what's next, Matter of fact, that's where we're going today in Hebrews chapter 4. is that In in Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about God being our comfort. And then what the writer of Hebrews says is this, that Jesus is our rest. You know, so many times we're looking for rest. For some of you, you walked in today and everybody's like, why are you so tan? We're like, oh, yeah, fall break. You guys went to Florida. We're so happy for you, right? And uh, we're back here in the cold and the rain, and you are sun-kissed from the the weather in Florida. But the beautiful thing is this. It is good to rest, except if you went on vacation with your kids and you're coming back, you need a vacation from your kids. And uh, that's the only thing about when you go on vacation, you need a vacation. And we go a lot of times and we look for rest. And one of the most uh, phenomenal quotes I came across of this, even if you're not a Christian here today, your soul is looking for rest. You're looking for peace in your life. That's why you're here. You're going, I might not believe in Jesus, but man, I need this peace. I I have, you know, I'm not where I wanna be. Even as Christians, this is why we're here today. Because what we're saying is this, God, by myself, I'm not at peace. God, by myself, I can't create the rest that my soul desires. Came across this quote, it's from 400 AD. A couple hundred years ago, after Jesus walked the earth, it's from St. Augustine of the Hippo, and he said this, and he had lived a wild life. He went after all sorts of passions and pleasures, and he studied philosophy. He studied all from the most brilliant people. He did just, just let any of his heart's desires come to fruition, and after just spending his whole life on that, he came to this point of restlessness. And listen to what he said in 400 A.D. He said, after all those pursuits, this is what he said in his book, Confessions, God you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you God our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you see this is the good news about God today you may be here and you are just restless You're going, I'm here because, man, man, I'm empty. The tank is empty, and I need God to fill me up. And the beautiful thing about God is this. He has always been inviting us into his rest. This is the whole story of, of Scripture is God creating us for himself, calling us for himself. This is what the people of Israel to be. They were to be his people to find their rest in him. This is what Jesus does for us is he gives us a rest that this world can't give us. And life is made to be lived with him. But I'll be honest. I'm not very good at resting. Uh, My wife always makes fun of me when I'm driving because uh, anybody remember when we just had the 65 bridge and it was north and southbound traffic on that bridge? And uh, I remember when we'd be coming from 64 over in Louisville and you're supposed to take the ramp to go on to 65 uh, north, I would see all the traffic backed up and and I would just stay in 64 West and I would just drive around the Sherman Minton. Now here's the deal, we lived in Sellersburg and I would just drive the Sherman Minton. If you know, that is not on the way to Sellersburg. And my wife, my wife would just look at me, she goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I ain't sitting in that traffic. And she's like, don't you know, it's this, it'll be less if you sit still in that traffic, we will get there quicker. I'm like, I don't, I'm not stopping. I ain't stopping. I'm, anybody of those who like, you'll drive five miles out of the way just so you don't have to sit still. Yeah, church is where we confess our sins to one another, all right? I just, I don't know, I don't like to sit still. I like to keep moving, and the thing is this, if we're not careful, sometimes there's this restlessness in our heart, but things have become so easy, you know, to just kind of be distracted, our iPhone and this and that, social media, that instead of sitting still and acknowledging the restlessness of our heart, we just keep moving. We just keep driving, sometimes way out of the way, and we're just moving, but we're not getting actually where we need to go. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes to the Christians who we believe is really in Rome and what's happening is they are losing their hope, they're losing their rest. Things are getting tough, they're getting persecuted. Some of the Christians at this time are being set, they're, they're being dipped in tar and set on fire to provide light for the Roman Empire. I mean, it is some brutal persecution and they're getting a little bit restless and the writer of Hebrews writes to remind them of their rest. Listen what this writer says in, in Hebrews chapter four verse one. It says, "Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. I mean, if you're weary today, the rest of God, it stands for you. Let us be careful that none of you have, uh, none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Don't miss God's rest. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, talking about the Israelites. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. That the Israelites were invited into God's rest. You and I are invited into God's rest. That if our souls, you're going, man, I just don't have peace. God is saying, I'm inviting you into my rest. But here's how this rest comes about. It comes through faith. A lot of times this is how I make the mistake. This is where my mind kind of gets jacked up. I feel like once I complete my work, then I can what? Then I can rest. See, the rest of God works differently. The rest of God says, no, you rest in me so you can do the work I have for you. See, God has a different way for our souls to be wired. God is saying, hey, I'm calling you into it. Matter of fact, the writer goes on and he says this in verse 8. He says, for if Joshua, who led the Israelites into the promised land, was in to give them the rest, he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day, talking about Jesus. And there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest, also rest from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Meaning this, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. This is kind of the big idea of rest because you guys are going, is is rest just a nap? No, it's more than a nap. It is a way of, of our soul. It is a condition of our life. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. That rest isn't just a reward. It's actually a requirement to experience God. That you and I will never fully experience God without first Resting in him. Matter of fact, this is what the whole creation order is. You remember on, on day six, God created man. And then on day seven, what do you remember? God what? He rested, which means this. The first thing that man experienced on earth was what? Rest. The first thing man experienced when God created him wasn't get to work. Get, go, go on. Nope. no. The first thing God had for Adam to experience was this, beauty. I think there might have been a deer stand there. Right, you know, he was already, you know, for some you you, like, amen, right, you know. Now, here's the thing. The first thing that God wanted Adam, I mean, we got we to gotta let God rewire our minds. Because oftentimes, we're stuck in this mode of we got to work. And once you get your work done, then you'll rest. This week, my wife, uh, she, she just got, you know, got the itch. She painted the bathroom. It looks awesome. The only problem is this. Now that we've painted one bathroom, guess what we want to do? Like 15,000 other projects, Right. One work leads to another work. And what God is saying, see, this is even why this regathering means so much to us, because what happens is it re-centers our hearts on rest and the goodness and the grace of God. And then we go, now that we rest in God, we can begin to lead into our week. See, God is a God of rest. He says, no, I want you to experience my creation. This means our rhythms and our habits ought to be saying, no, I need time. For some of you, you got to be going, no, I do need to be up in a deer stand. For some of you, you're looking forward to hanging with friends. Some of you are going, I just need these things that fuel my heart. And God is saying, that's right. That is how I created you. Matter of fact, when he freed the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And the fifth commandment was what? Do you remember this? The Sabbath. He says, make sure you observe the Sabbath, which means this, you rest, you rest. Because oftentimes this is what will happen: we'll overtrust our work, and we'll undertrust God. We'll overtrust in what we're able to do. I love how Rich Veladas puts it this way: we begin to have our productivity become our identity, and what we do is who we are. And if we're not doing good at work, then we're not doing good in life. And God's going, "That's not the way I've made you." I've made you for my rest. I've made you to experience my grace. And this invitation still stands for you to experience all that I have. A lot of times we make this mistake. We can't wait to get out of this season. I know we've said this all before. Can't wait till things get back to normal. Can I just let you know, it's going to be a long time. And if you're going to wait for things to get back to normal, you're going to be dog tired. And God is saying, I want to give you rest right now in the middle of whatever season you're going through. Some of you can't wait to graduate high school. Some of you can't wait to graduate college. Some of you can't wait to get married. Some of you can't wait for all this other stuff. And God is saying in the middle of this season of whatever you're facing, I want to give you rest. Jesus actually comes along and he has to redefine rest. The Pharisees hijacked rest. In Mark chapter 2, he says this to them. They had taken the Sabbath and they'd taken away the whole spirit of the law. And they began to, you know, make it a confining thing. And Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And they were trying to kill him and they were trying to get after him. And listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. He says, whoa, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Meaning this, that until our heart is at rest in Jesus, we will not have rest in our life. Until our hearts rest in Jesus, We will not have rest in our life. Doesn't mean our problems go away. Doesn't mean everything goes back to normal. Matter of fact, Jesus came along and he said this in the most clear defining way about what rest looks like in him is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. This is the culmination of rest. And listen what he says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I ask you a question this morning? How's your soul? Just how's your soul? Not when was the last time you took a nap. You're like, I'm doing it right now. No, no. No, 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 how's your soul? I mean, how's the core of who you are? That's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. He's saying, I have a rest for you. And here's the thing, it's a rest for your souls. It's a rest into your bones. It's a rest that this world can't give you. He says, come to me. And see, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. If you want to enter his rest and the invitation still stands, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. You know what it just says to do? He just says, come as you are. You're going, Nate, I'm tired. Come on. Nate, I'm angry. He's saying, come on. Nate, I'm frustrated. Come on. Nate, I hate this person. I hate what's going on. Come on and get your rest. See, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's not waiting for you to accomplish the work that you need. He is the work that you need and he's saying come rest in my work come find the rest in me come and put your life in me but this is what i love literally the word says he says i will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls you know what that word rest means the rest literally means this peace in the midst of that's what the word means that you will find peace in the midst of whatever you're going through jesus is saying i have a rest For you. Don't wait for this season to be over. Don't wait for things to go back to normal. I am your normal. But then, did you hear what he said? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Here's what Jesus is saying today. If you want to experience my rest, if you don't have it, or if you need to come back to it, it's two things. One, it's peace and it's pace. Find his peace and go at his pace. See, that's what it means to, to put your yoke with Jesus, that you're going, Jesus, you're not just going to be my peace, but Jesus, I'm going to go at your pace. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Sometimes he's going to tell us, hey, speed up. I got something for you. Come on, step up in it, right? I'm going to put it in the sixth gear. You're like, whoa, right? And you're yoked with him and you're moving. And then sometimes you and I are running so fast, you know what he's going to say? Go ahead and stop right here. Yeah, 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 but I want to do it. I know. Go ahead and stop because if you keep running at that pace, guess what's going to happen? You're going to burn out. You're going to rev the engine too high, and you're going to lose your soul. Matter of fact, my favorite story about a runner who had a pace, his name is Cliff Young. And uh, I got a picture of Cliff Young. It's an unbelievable story of Cliff. He was 61 years old. And uh, Cliff, at 61, signed up for his first race. Now, here's the thing about his first race. His first race was actually an ultramarathon in Melbourne, Australia, 544 miles. You're like, Cliff, you have lost your mind. How's your soul, Cliff? I don't think it's very good. I think you've lost your mind. Literally, Cliff showed up to his race, first pair of his running shoes ever in wind pants. Cliff, that's not what you race in, my man. I, I hate to break it to you. That ain't it. You had all these phenomenal runners around the world. Matter of fact, he's 61 years old and he got to the starting line and he took out his false teeth because he said they rattled when he ran. <laughs> Seriously, you, you can Google this, man. Takes out his false teeth, puts them aside. He's like, I don't want him to rattle. I got 544 miles to go. They're just looking at this guy like... Cliff, 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 boy, you you don't know it. And all these world-renowned runners just take off sprinting. And they, what, what he began to do is nicknamed, and this is, it's hilarious. That you can look it up. It's called the Shepherd Shuffle. And Cliff stood started just doing this. <laughs> He's just, just kind of shuffling. Everybody's doing the strides, man. And, you know, all, everybody's just running. Cliff, Shepherd Shuffle. Cliff was a potato farmer. And he also oversaw 2,000 sheep that roamed over 2,000 acres. And for years, Cliff would shepherd these sheep by just shuffling along. And he'd just shuffle along. And his pace wasn't incredible. His pace wasn't dynamic. But here was the thing about his pace. He would never stop. Cliff... Here's what would happen. The runners would run 18 hours a day and sleep for six hours, get up, and run another 18 hours. You know what Cliff did? Cliff never stopped running through the night. He had trained his body. You can look at it. This isn't preacher makeup here, all right? I'm serious. You can look this up. Never stopped running. Could even get his body used to running while it rested. Shepherd shuffle. Everybody's sleeping. Cliff's still going. He ends up winning the race, his first race, by 10 hours. Look it up, crazy story. They said, how did he do it? It all came down to his pace, his pace. Unbelievable story, 61. Finish line, first thing he did, put his teeth back in. I guess. Like, <laughs> I don't know if he did that, but that sounds hilarious, right? See, we want Jesus' peace, but here's the thing. His peace isn't just a moment. It's every moment, isn't it? See, part of experiencing his peace might mean you and I got to do the shepherd shuffle for a little bit. And it's embarrassing, and we're wearing wind pants, you know, and we're just kind of shuffling along with Jesus. And he's going, I know, because right now, that's all your soul needs. I don't need you in fifth gear. See, it is about finding his peace, but going at his pace running alongside with him. This is what Jesus came to do. Some of you are going, Nate, that sounds so good, but man, I, I struggle with pace. Matter of fact, this is why I have never was on the cross-country team. I, I'm, I'm kind of like a dog, throw a ball, I'll go chase it, right? That, that, that's how I work. But hey, go run five miles. No, I'll stop at like Burger King or something on the way. You know, I just, I just don't do distance. And the thing is this, Jesus is saying, I don't just need you to agree with me and I don't just need you to let me save you. I need you to walk with me. I need you to allow me to be your rest. Yes, let me be your peace, but let me be your pace. And what we find is this some of you go, Nate, that sounds great, but how do I do that? This is why the writer in Hebrews, right after this, says these words, and and it kind of doesn't make sense until we understand why we need this. In verse 12, listen to what it says For the word of God is living and active. What does that have to do with anything? It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, someone's going, what does that have to do with us keeping pace with Jesus? You know what it has to do? He's saying, this is how you keep pace. You rest in God's word. That your life is found in God's word. This is why the writer says it, for the word of God is living and active. You know what he's saying to us? When you've got nothing in the tank, Jesus has something for you. When you have nothing, when you come to the word and you go, I am bone dry. I have nothing to offer you, God. He's going, good. Would you just open my word because I want to fill you up. Didn't it feel so good to quote Psalm 117 this morning together? Man, just to read God's word together, to be reminded, my life is to praise him. He has been good to me. And this is what happens. The word is alive and it's active. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 what's with that whole double-edged sword thing? Is Jesus just trying to jab me? Is He just trying to get back at me? Right? No. You know what that means? Alive and a double-edged sword is just like a surgeon uses a sharp scalpel. You never go into surgery and go, Doc, can you use the real old dull one? Yeah. You know, I want to reduce, reuse, and recycle scalpels. Let's use the old, dull scalpel. No, you go, I want the sharpest tools. I don't want any, you know, bad incisions. I want sharp. And here's why the scripture says it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Because what the word of God does is when we begin to allow it into us and to rest and to be our peace and to go at its pace, here's what happens. It begins to cut away the things that we don't need in our life. It begins to cut away the thoughts that do not build you up. It begins to cut away the idea that you are only what you do compared to who has saved you. It begins to cut away all of the doubt. It begins to fill you with your confidence in Christ that we are made in his image, loved by God and sent on his purpose to go and connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. We have to rest in God's word. We got to find our rest in God's word. More than our opinion, more than anybody else's opinion, we're going, no, God, it is you. You are the one who comes in. You are the one who changes my life. Right after it says this in verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess Let us hold firmly to this. He's reigning over all and it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Do you hear what the word's saying? Man, you've got one to put your confidence in who has gone through the heavens That right now Jesus is ruling and reigning over the entire earth. So when you put your faith in him, you are putting your faith in the king over the universe. People want to talk about MJ and LeBron right now. And the knock on LeBron is, well, he's not undefeated. And then the knock, you know, on MJ is this, well, he retired. Can I just let you know, Jesus is better than any MJ or LeBron? Because he is undefeated and he never retired. And he continues to win. He continues to rule. He continues to reign. Michael Jordan's better than LeBron, by the way. But, you know, but here's the thing. But here's the thing. We have the one who has gone through the heavens. He is ruling. He is reigning. And then here's the thing. He's not just ruling in the heavens. The scripture says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You have a Savior who knows what's going on in your life and goes through it with you. You have a God who isn't just up there. He's right here. And he's with us. And he sympathizes with us. And he has been tempted in every way just as you and I are. He has been tempted with every passion and pleasure and possession. That's what the desert temptation was with Satan. Satan was tempting him with everything. And you know what Jesus' response was to Satan? Do you remember what he quoted? Scripture. Scripture. Man does not live on bread alone. He lives on every word from his father. Man, Jesus found his rest in the word. He found his rest. And who God is. Jesus was the one who put everything in. And here's what I want to invite you to do just for this series. I thought this could be a neat exercise. And, uh, and I want to be careful how I present this uh, because people have taken this and, and they've used it in a wrong way. Here's what I, I want to invite you to do for the rest of the series just to practice this rest. Because what I'd love for us to do is look at the word of God as our rest. Not a requirement, but our rest. That's what Jesus did. Here's how I face temptation. Oh, man, the word of God, it fills me up. It's not just a requirement. It's a place of rest. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Think about it, pray about it. For the rest of the series, here's what I want to invite you to do. Just bring your Bible with you on the weekend. Here's why. Just get used to opening it up and just start a pace of looking in Scripture Here's the problem in Christianity. A lot of times we take good things and then we start taking control and then this is why we've been known as Bible thumpers because we don't let the word of God be a place of rest. We let it be like the word of God, you know, and like we start smacking people with it and it's like that's not how the word of God was created. That's not very restful. And I just want to invite you to go, God, I'm going to let your word be my rest. I'm going to let your word be where I put my hope. Because listen what it says in verse 16. Some of us are going, Nate, I would love rest, but man, I just I don't think God wants me, and, and, and I know what I've done. And oh, listen what verse 16 says. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach God with confidence. And then he says this so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time. Of need. See, this is what resting in Jesus looks like. It doesn't just rest in God's word. It rests in God's relationship with us. God is saying, I want this relationship with you. I know you may feel distant. I know you may feel left out. I'm, I'm saying, I want you to rest in me. I have mercy for you. I have grace for you. I have confidence for you. I have help for you in your time of need. Let me ask this question one more time after opening God's word today. How's your soul? I mean, really, how's your soul? I love that we're together. You don't need to lie to me and you don't need to lie to God. You don't need to lie to yourself. You just need to come as you are. How's your soul? Is Jesus your rest? Is the word filling you up? You're going, Nate, I am bone dry. I know, come and drink deeply from the hope of God and the word of God. You know, we want to end our time together doing something really unique. I know we're not going to be passing communion during the season, and hopefully when you came in, you grab this, and if you're at home watching online, I want to invite you to grab your bread and your juice right now. And what I want us to do is, if you would, to, to open this up. There's a top layer there, and you got the bread. Then there's a bottom that you'll open up to have the juice. The greatest thing, I love that we're back together, but you know what's even more important than us being back together? That we would rest in Jesus. That our souls would find him as our grace and our mercy. Matter of fact, here in a moment, I want us to take communion together. I'll lead us together where we'll take the bread together and then we'll take the juice together. But this is what I want us to do. I want us to read Matthew 11, 28 through 30 out loud together. Because these are the words of Jesus. This is the invitation of Jesus today to us. Let's just read this out loud. Even if you're online, just read it out loud together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And right now, before we take the bread together, let's take a moment and either one, maybe ask God to be your rest once again, that what he did on the cross is what saves us. Or maybe in this moment before we take the bread together, you just thank him for being your rest. Right now, let's just take some time to talk to him, and then we'll take the bread together. Right now, talk to him. Lord, we thank you that you start with rest, not work. That you call us to delight in you. And Jesus, we rest in your work on the cross right now, your saving grace that freezes from trying to earn our way back to you. And so, right now, God, as we take this bread we declare you are the greatest work and you are the greatest rest of all time. Let's take this bread together. And right now, before we take the juice, ask God, what pace do you need to run right now with him? Surrender your schedule, surrender your thoughts, surrender all that you are to him to say, no, I'm going with you right now. Take a moment right now and talk to him. Jesus, we're grateful that you don't ask us to try to figure this out by ourselves. That you don't ask us to run to the best of our ability. You ask us to go with you. And so we thank you that you are near. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you hold us together. And so right now, Jesus, we declare that you are the one who holds all things together. Let's take the juice together right now. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment to regather. Lord, would you anchor our souls? Would you be our peace? And Jesus, may we delight in you today and this week. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us said together, Amen.